Okay, cool. So anyway, like I said, at the end of the message, we're going to be talking about um, the Easter services. So you're going to want to stay tuned for that. Thank you for those of you who kind of hung in there on Facebook Live on, on secondchance.com. Today, we're beginning a series on our core values. And I want to start out by asking you this question in the room and watching live. Have you ever ran from something? Yeah. Now, I'm, yeah okay. I'm, and I'm not talking about a spiritual type thing. I'm talking about something or someone had you so scared that you literally ran. Because, because one of my very first memories as a kid, I've got two memories as a child. The first one was Mr. Snuffleupagus was coming up the driveway to eat me. Um, but that's a whole nother story, true story. Whole nother story, whole nother time. The first, one of the very first memories I have as a kid is I was running from my father. Now, don't take any spiritual thing there. It wasn't my heavenly father. It was my earthly father. And I don't remember all the exact conditions around it. I just remember it had something to do with a hammer and his brand new car and me thinking that I was helping him fix the car. That's the story that was told to me. A lot of it's blocked out. Um, and, and I learned something about running at, at like three or four years old. And this is true. Runners aren't looking for a safe place. They're looking for an open space. If it's safe, it just happens to be a bonus. Now, this is some people might push back and go, no, 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 no. Runners are looking for a safe space. But think about this. Anytime we see a movie and a bunch of people are kind of in a market and a bomb blow, blows up, right? People don't run to safe spaces. They're running to get away from something. And if when you're running to get away from something, you don't really care if something is safe. You just care if it's open. And once, it, once you get in there, you'll figure out whether or not it's safe. That's what happened to me. I'm running from my dad. I'm cutting corners. Um, this is before I was a little butterball, so my dad couldn't keep up with me, and I was real fast. And I ran around a corner, and there was my mom. And, she, and I just kind of took a flying leap, and she grabbed me. She protected me from my father, as she normally did. Um, and so it was real cool. And I learned as a three-, four-year-old kid that you're not looking for safe. You're looking for open. But if you can find safe and open, that's a bonus. So with that in mind, let me ask you this question. Have you ever ran from God? Have you ever ran from God? Or are you currently running from God? Because this is what I know about runners who run from God. We're not necessarily looking for safe spaces. We're looking for open spaces. That's why when people, when we run from God, we tend to run into destructive things. Because things that are, that are destructive don't discriminate. Things that are destructive will welcome us right in. And one of the reasons that runners typically will never run to a church is because churches to runners are neither safe nor open. So what would it look like? What would it look like for a church to legitimately be an open and safe place where runners are welcome? That's the entire heart behind starting Second Chance Church. I didn't, I, I, I didn't want to start a church because we need another church in the upstate of South Carolina. Because my gosh, if, if there are 20 to 25 churches within, you know, 10, within a 25-minute radius of our houses, it's not because we needed another church. I wanted to create a church where runners are absolutely welcome, where it's an open, safe place, where you don't have to believe what we believe to belong to who we are. And a place where runners, no matter where they are, are welcome. Now, for the next five weeks, we're going to be diving into our core values. The first one 
is this thing called grace. And if you have a Bible, I want you to go to Genesis 25. We're going to wind up in Genesis 28, and that's where we're going to be for the next five weeks. But Genesis 25, and there's a story in the Bible about a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son with with this chick named Sarah. She was like 90, 100 years old when she had a baby. Um, So it's never too late for God to use you, right? Um, and, And they had a son named Isaac, and Isaac married this chick named Rebecca. Now, that's where we're going to pick up Genesis 25, verse 21. This is what the Bible says. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless, so they couldn't have a baby. Isaac was bothered by this. Rebecca was bothered by this. Isaac goes to the Lord in prayer. And the Bible says, the Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. I want to pause real quick and just say this. It's not the point of the message, but I got to address it because it's in the text. Isaac didn't just pray for Rebecca to get pregnant. He participated in the prayer that he was praying. I'm not going to draw you a picture or anything, but you, you, you get it, right? He didn't just pray and then pop, she was pregnant. He, he prayed, but he also participated, which is a good reminder that sometimes when we pray, we got to be willing to participate in the prayers that we're praying. So if we're praying, God, give me compassion, and then God puts a person in our life that needs compassion, that's the answer to the prayer that we pray. I remember for years, I would pray, God, please help me to be in better shape, but I wouldn't go to the gym and I wouldn't um, eat right. And that was on me, right? So when we pray for something, we got to be willing to participate with the prayer that we're praying. And that's not even the point of the message. You'll need to listen quicker. Here we go. Verse 22, the babies stop. I don't think that Isaac was praying for babies. I think he was praying for a baby. But the Bible says the babies, which is a really good reminder that God's plans are always bigger than our plans. God always wants more for us than we actually want for ourselves. So the Bible says the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Which if you're a woman and you had a baby, you know the Bible's true because you've asked that question as the baby is inside of you. Why is this happening to me? There's a human inside of me using my kidneys as trampolines and jumping up and down. And if, you, if you're married to a woman who's pregnant, you've asked that question too. Why is this happening to her? Why do I have to go to the grocery store and get weird food for her in the middle? Because and, and, she told you, you did this to me. Anyway, it's a whole nother story, whole nother time. The baby's jostled within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, which I'm just guessing if you're a pregnant woman, you don't want nations inside of you, right? You want small babies really fast, right? But he said, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. Now listen to this. The first one came out, the first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. So you got like baby Chewbacca being born right here in Genesis 25. So they named him Esau, which can be translated either hairy or red. So this is my kid, red, right? Next is greater. After this, his his brother came out with his hand grasping 
Esau's heel. A little bit of a weird birth here. So he was named Jacob. Now Jacob can either be translated, he grasped the heel or deceiver. So that's like, how would you like, hey, th th my name is Isaac. This is my boy, Red. This is my boy, Deceiver. Obviously, they're going to have issues growing up. So he, was, so, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Now, I, I want to just point out the fact that Esau was born first. And in this culture, if you were born first, you were born with a birthright and a blessing. But Jacob was born grasping Esau's heel, which is a reminder to us that Jacob wanted what Esau had. It's also a reminder to us that all of us, every single person, no exception, we're all born sinful, separated from God. In other words, we are born with a proclivity to run from God. We are natural born sinners. How many of you are parents in the room? How many of you are parents? Anybody have to teach your kids how to sin? Nope. They were born, right? Like, have you, ever, have you ever seen one kid, I don't know if you've ever seen this, you ever seen one kid bite another kid? Kids, okay, now here's my question. Where'd they learn that? Are mom and dad at home taking chunks out of each other when they get mad at each other? No, 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 no. They are born knowing how to harm another child if they don't get their way. I was in Starbucks not too long ago. Mind this drama queen, and I say drama queen because she was ordering the double, triple, Foam, no whip, extra soy. Like, my God, get black coffee. Um, sorry, Carly. I was behind Carly. Anyway, no, it wasn't Carly. It was another lady, and she had a kid, and the kid was like, Mama, can I get a cake pop? Which I think the kid should have been given a cake pop because the mama had such a dramatic order. And she's like, no, you can't have a cake pop. Mama, I want a cake pop. 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 And the mom said, I told you you're not getting cake pop. The little girl lays down in the floor and starts flailing all over the place. And I'm like, oh my gosh. This is... But, but once again, nobody taught her how to do that. She was born knowing how to do that. We're all natural born sinners. All of us are born with an innate desire to run from, to run away from God. And that's what happens in this story. Because we see later on, Jacob becomes what his father named him. His father named him deceiver. He becomes a deceiver and he cheats Esau out of his birthright and out of his blessing. Now, we don't really have a modern day equivalent of this. So let's just imagine that you had worked really hard and you had $100,000 saved up in a checking account or a savings account. You're going to use this to go on a nice vacation or get your dream car. And then you go to check your balance one day and it's, you've got 5000 Somebody stole $95,000 from you. How many of you would at least consider killing that person? Okay, yeah, two honest people in the room, everybody else. Um, we would all at least want to do some sort of physical harm to them. I, I, I know that. Well, that's what Jacob did to Esau. He stole his birthright and he stole his blessing. And Esau said, I'm going to kill him, but I'm going to wait till dad dies because I don't want dad to see me kill. And, and Jacob finds out about it and Jacob does. What we all do when we perceive we're in danger, he runs. And flip over to Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. This is where we're going to be for the next five weeks. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head 
and lay down to sleep. Now I want to pause real quick and just say this because it's in the text. Runners don't stop running from God because somebody yells at them long enough. Runners don't stop running from God because somebody spits hate and condemnation towards them. Runners stop running when they get tired. Period. Jacob didn't pass a camel and on the back of the camel was a bumper sticker that said, get right or get left, turn or burn, get saved or microwave. There wasn't any of that going on. Jacob stopped running when Jacob got tired. So if you know somebody that's running from God, the best prayer that you can pray for them is, God, let them get tired of running. Because us shouting at them and pointing a finger at them doesn't make them want to stop running. It actually makes them want to run harder. So Jacob's tired. He takes a rock and puts it under his head as a pillow. And the Bible says in verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. There's a good song, by the way. Anyway, um, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Now listen to this, verse 13. There above it stood the Lord. Now, anytime we see that in, in the scriptures, anytime we see God in the flesh, it's always Jesus. So Jacob is seeing Jesus, um, and there's the stairway reaching up to heaven. Now, now, let me pause real quick, and let me say this before we move on. The stairway wasn't so that Jacob could climb up. The stairway was so that Jesus could come down. The stairway in this text wasn't because religion says climb up. Jesus says, I'll come down. And that's the metaphor that's so powerful here. And so there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will, now listen to this, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants, okay, let me pause. He's not even married at this point. He's not even married. He's a single guy running from God, and he got tired. And all of a sudden, God shows up and starts telling him, how he's going to bless him. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That's a lot of kids, a lot of kids. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Listen to this, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, listen to this. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. See, that's, that's my prayer for Second Chance Church. They're going to run in and they're going to have an encounter with Jesus. And they didn't even know Jesus was there. They just found it to be an open, safe place. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Don't, don't, don't forget that. This is really important. Bethel means house of God. So he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called uh, uh, Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear. That's all he asked for, food to eat and clothes to wear. So that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and the stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a tenth. What happened in this text? There's three main points I want to pull out of this text I just read. The three things that happened to Jacob are the three things that I really have a heart 
and desire to see happen at Second Chance Church. Here we go. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one, Jesus met Jacob. Jesus met Jacob. Where did Jesus met Jacob? In the house of God. Jacob, Jacob was running, right? We've established that. Jacob was running. And don't miss this. Jacob wasn't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Jacob, not to get him back for what he had done to his brother Esau, but to bring him back into a relationship with God. So Jacob was running, wasn't paying attention to where he was running to, ran right into the house of God, and in the house of God, that's where he met Jesus. And once again, I can't say it enough. That's what I want for our church, a place where runners are absolutely welcome because I think everybody in the room and everybody watching online would all agree that many times the biggest barrier to people meeting God are the people of God. I'll say it again. Many times the biggest barrier for people meeting God are the people of God. In fact, some of you, that's your story. That's the reason you're not in a church today. You're watching online because you've got a bad church story. We've all got a bad church story. I remember one time I was talking to a friend. He was in a, he was in a smaller church, and um, it was like a revival-type service, and there was a woman behind him weeping, not, not crying, not a little tear, weeping. And she couldn't even walk down front. She was in so much pain, and you know, she just was weeping. And so... They got the pastor to come back to this woman. My friend is sitting right in front of this lady. He heard the whole thing. And the pastor asked her, what is, what is wrong with you? And she's like, I need, I need Jesus. You just talked about Jesus. I need to accept Jesus into my life. And he goes, man, ma'am, that is awesome. And she went on to say, I've just gone through a divorce. And it's the most painful thing that's ever happened to me. And, and my friend said, the pastor took a step back and said, ma'am, if you've just gone through a divorce, I can't lead you to Christ. And she got up and walked out of that church. And so did my friend. And all of us have those stories. And those kind of stories, they, they do two things to me simultaneously. They make me mad and they break my heart. Because this woman didn't have her stuff together, somebody else wouldn't lead her to Jesus. Now, let me ask you this question. When Jacob ran into the house of God, he was still running. What if God would have waited on Jacob to get everything together? Jacob, you got to go back home. You got to give the money back. You got to say you're sorry. You got to start, you know, reading your Bible every day and journaling and praying and fasting and all this stuff. Jacob would have never met Jesus. No, 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 no. Grace is not, hey, get your stuff together and then you're good enough. Grace is God is good enough. Therefore, when he comes into our lives, he helps us over time get our stuff together. Jesus met Jacob in the house of God. And that's, that's one of the biggest, that is actually the biggest thing I care about when it comes to Second Chance Church. I'm gonna care about two types of people. People that are far from God, and people that care about people that are far from God. Those are the two types of people that will always love our church. Jacob, or Jesus met Jacob. Number two, Jesus changed Jacob. Jesus changed Jacob. Now, all of us have probably met someone at some point in our lives and had a positive change because of it. 
So for example, I love a good steak. I love a good steak. I got a couple people in the room. Um, Logan's actually a pescatarian, and, and that's, that means she eats fish. It means she's weird. Um, and Carly is a, she's going vegan. She's not quite there yet. So how close are you, Carly? How close? She's a vegetarian. I don't even, what's the difference? You know what? I don't care. So anyway, I, I had a friend. I used to get my steaks cooked well done. That used, to, that used to be how I got my steak cooked. Well done. I wanted it well done. It was like a pork chop. You could break it in half. That's, and I had a friend who was the manager of a steakhouse, which is a great place to go. Um, he's a manager of a steakhouse, and he came out and told me one time, you're eating your steak wrong. And I'm like, I'm not eating my steak wrong. This is how you, and he goes, let me cook you a steak. And I'm like, how are you going to cook it? He said, medium rare to medium. I was like, oh, heck no. No, no, no. And then, but, then, but then he did something that was amazing. He said, I'll cook you a steak. And if you don't like the way I cook it, I'll give you your steak for free. I was like, I got nothing to lose. And so he brought out this steak and it was cooked medium rare to medium. And I ate the steak the way that God intended for cows to be eaten. It was so good. But because I met this guy who offered me an opportunity for free, by the way, to sample the steak... It absolutely changed me. All of us had, have met people that have changed us. Now, when it comes to this story right here in particular, I want Second Chance Church to be a place where people are changed by Jesus. Not into religious robots because, let me pause. If, if you're looking for a church where you equate activity with maturity, this is not your church. In other words, we're not going to have a Bible study seven nights a week. We're not going to have 17 things to do. This is going to be a place where we allow Jesus to change people in his time. The biggest thing that I want to see as the pastor is people who actually have a relationship with Jesus. Now, here's what's crazy. Up until this point, Jacob had a plan. This was his plan. Get up tomorrow morning and keep running. That was his plan. Get up tomorrow and keep running. But God's plans were different for Jacob. God said, I want to do something with your life that's going to be so significant, it's going to blow your mind. And by the way, out of Jacob, we got the, 12, we got the 10, eventually 12 sons that eventually led to the 12 tribes of Israel. God had a plan for Jacob that, Jacob, that, that was bigger than Jacob was currently living. And that's one of the things we're going to constantly talk about here at Second Chance Church is that God's plans for our lives are always bigger than our plans for our lives. This, this happened to me. I remember when I first started going to church, I was going to be a manager for Ryan's. Um, nothing wrong with restaurant management. Nothing wrong with the restaurant industry. I be, in fact, I think everybody should have to work in the restaurant industry for at least six months so you know how to tip good. That's just my personal opinion. A lot of people in the room that have probably worked in the restaurant industry are agreeing right now. Um, so so my, my goal was I'm going to be a rest, restaurant manager for Ryan's. But God had a bigger plan for my life. And he's got a bigger plan for your life as well. Because don't miss this. I was going to dedicate my life to an organization that doesn't even exist anymore. And God said, no, 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 no. I want you to do something bigger with your life. Um, and here's the thing we got to remember. And this is one of the things we're always going to say over and over and over again at Second Chance Church. Jesus changes people in his time, not our time. 
One of the things I used to say, and I've been incredibly convicted of this lately, and I'm sure you've heard people say this, or maybe you've even said this before, is when it comes to church, I'm tired of so-and-so coming to church every single week and not changing. I'm tired of so-and-so showing up at church every single week and not changing. A couple problems with that. Number one, it's an incredibly judgmental statement. Because instead of looking in the mirror to see how we should change, we're looking out the window to look at how other people... Number two... You never know what Jesus is doing in somebody's heart. The biggest change that happens is not the external change, it's the internal change. And Jesus changes people in his time. As I read through the scriptures, this is what hit me this week. People who were not welcome in the temple, and when I say not welcome in the temple, the lame, the blind, the lepers, the tax collectors, people who were not welcome in the temple were always welcome with Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, I'm tired of these people showing up every week and not changing them. He just changed them. He did something that the temple could never do. And I believe Jesus, in his time, can do something that religion could never do. Jesus changes people in his time. I, I said it before a few weeks ago. I'll say it again. I want our church to be a place where you can be fully known and fully loved. And let me just say this. This is messy. This is messy. It's, it's got to be a place where people can fall down and get back up. You know, I know a, I know a little bit about alcoholics meetings because I've, I've been to a couple. And when you sit in these meetings, I've been to more than a couple. But when I was in treatment, when you sat in these meetings and somebody said, you know what? This is what I've done and this is what I've struggled with and this is what I'm battling with and this is my issues... They didn't get condemnation. People were like, you know what? We accept you. We, you know what? We're going to help you get through this. And I'm like, my God, the, the, the non-churched world shows more compassion in many cases than church people. I'm not going to give people permission to sin. But at the end of the day, when people do sin, instead of pointing a finger, we're going to extend a hand. Instead of turning our back, we're going to open our arms because that's what Jesus created his church to be. Um, let me just kind of say this. Our number three, number three, the third thing that happened is Jacob responded. And Jacob responded when he got into this place. He met Jesus, got a humongous vision for his life. What did he say? Does anybody remember? How awesome is this place? Now, I remember the first time, my very first college football game that I ever went to. Division one college, okay? I, I went to a Furman game, but Furman's like, and there, there are middle schools in Georgia and Texas that are bigger than Furman. Let's just be honest when it comes to football. So my very first college football game, and it wasn't Death Valley, by the way. It wasn't Death Valley. I know some of you are thinking that. It was Williams-Brice Stadium. I went to see Clemson play Carolina. Clemson won, by the way, like they do most of the time. But I went to see Clemson play Carolina, and I had never seen that many people at one place. I remember walking around that little spiral, that thing that, you know what I'm talking about, Williams Bryce, and I walked and looked at the field. I'd never seen a field that green. I had never seen that many people. I'd never seen, I'd never heard a crowd that loud. And I remember thinking, how awesome is this place? This is an amazing place, especially once again, I want to emphasize since we won. I remember the very first concert I ever went to. And I'm not particularly proud of this. And it was a free ticket, so don't judge me. But the very first concert I ever went to was in the Hollywood Bowl, which is an amazing venue. And I went to see 
Boy George at Culture Club. Now, some of you don't know who that is. You're going to have to Google it. And once it, don't do it now. But, but you're, you remember Boy George, don't you? Yeah, okay, yeah. It's a big deal. It's a big deal at the time. Don't judge me. And I remember looking around at all the people. And how awesome is this place? We've all been to places that we've seen. We've seen them and we're like, how awesome is this place? Jacob, when he woke up from his dream in the house of God, what did he say? How awesome is this place? Not because God told him, stop running. Because God met him there and gave him a bigger vision for his life. He didn't say, how awful is this place? How condemning is this place? He said, how awesome is this place? And let me, let me just kind of point out, after Jacob left this place, he wasn't a poster child for godliness. You can read about Jacob's life. I mean, it's, he lived a messed up life. But here's what grace does. Grace saves us and grace sustains us when we, fall back, when we fall down so that we can get back up. Grace saves us and it also sustains us so that when we fall down, we can get back up. This is my story. I was in 19, late 1989, early 1990, I was running from God. And I ran right into a local church that was two things open and safe. It was open. The reason I say it was open and safe because when I went in, I was rough. Like I cussed a lot. I, well, I, I don't cuss as much as I used to. I cuss a little bit now, but I used to cuss a lot. And we would go out on Sunday afternoons and I would go out with the church people. We'd play football and I was, I was a dirty football player and I would cuss and, you know, and then they would invite me to church and they never, they never told me to stop cussing. They never told me to stop acting a certain way. In fact, after church, they would always invite me, the cusser, out to eat with them. And we would always go out to eat and stuff like that. And eventually... In his time, God changed me because I'm absolutely convinced there was a group of people that didn't surround me and tell me everything I needed to do to change. It was an open, safe environment where I met Jesus. He gave me a bigger plan for my life. I responded and said yes. And the same thing that happened to me, I want to see happen to thousands of lives all across the world. I ran into church and I ran into Jesus. So I want to close today just by asking a question. Are you right now, currently, running from God? Like, are you... Now, the only person that can answer this question for you is you. Are you currently, in any area of your life, running from God? And if so, maybe, just maybe, the reason you're watching this message today is to hear... That church was supposed to be a place where runners are welcome. Maybe the reason you're hearing this message today is so that you can hear and understand that you're running, but God isn't mad at you. And he's not trying to get you back. He wants to bring you back into a relationship with him. Maybe you've got a bad church story and you're saying, I'm done with church. You know what? I've got a bad church story. You've got a bad church story. Jesus has lots of bad church stories. But Jesus hasn't given up on the church, and neither should we. And maybe you are so far from God, and you, you're so far from God because you're like, people have told you, you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to stop, you need to get better, you need to get better. And maybe you've heard this message of condemnation for years and years and years, and the true message is today you can accept Christ into your life and be radically changed 
on the spot, and then, and then you have the ability and power to transform into who God wants you to be. So with that in mind, can we pray? Everybody here in, in the room and online, watching wherever you are. And Father, I just want to pray right now for those who may be running from you. God, I pray right now, God, if not today, then soon, that they would get tired. They'd get tired of running the things that are very open but are incredibly unsafe. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that those who are running right now, you would just remind them of how much you love them despite what has been told them by other people. God, I pray for the person right now that knows they need to accept you. They're just like Jacob, running from you, and they need to meet you, Jesus, and have you transform their lives. And right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're watching and you need to accept Christ, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life, you want to receive his grace today and become a brand new person, take, take your first step in your second chance. If that's what you want to do, then I want to invite you right where you are to pray a prayer in your heart and just say, Jesus Christ, I confess you as Lord. Come into my life and take over. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, I give my life to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, if you're watching on the website, if you'll just raise your hand, do that little hand raise thing, we'd love to know that you prayed to receive Christ or you can shoot me an email prayer at perrynoble.com, prayer at perrynoble.com, and let me know that you receive Christ. Or you can let us know on the Facebook notifications. We would love to be able to celebrate that with you. We got any hands going up, Ed? Yeah, we got when, 40 right now. 40 people? Yeah. 40 hands, 40 people just prayed to receive Christ at Second Chance Church. Can we 40 people. That's the most we've ever had. That's the most we've ever had. That's, that's more than all the Sundays combined. My gosh. I'm pretty pumped up. I'm having a cheeseburger for lunch. That's all. I'm, cheeseburgers for everybody, except Logan. Fish sandwich. Hey, and Car well, Carly's not there yet. Hey, I want Easter services. We're having our first public gathering as a church on Saturday, March the 31st. And on Sunday, April 1st, Saturday is going to be a six o'clock service. Sunday is going to be 915 and 1115. Um, like I said last week, no childcare, no nursery. The music's going to be loud. So if you're going to bring a baby, that's fine. Just bring hearing protection because we don't want them to have hearing damage. And then you blame our church. I've told you right now. Um, if you bring kids and they're hyper, just bring them an iPad or load them up with Ritalin, whatever you got to do. But, but, but it, it's going to be an amazing, amazing, amazing church service. Two things about it. First of all, um, next week, we're going to have a ticket system. So you have to get tickets to come to, this, to one of these services. Now, calm down. They're free. Absolutely free. 100% free. But we're doing tickets so that we can ensure that you have a place to sit down. We, we want you to have a seat. And so next week, 
Next Sunday, we'll be giving information about the tickets. Also, we are going to be needing volunteers, but listen, listen, listen. We're going to be giving volunteer information about how you can sign up to serve next week, okay? Next week, we're going to, next week's going to be a big week, all right? It's going to be amazing. So we're going to, we're going to tell you how you can get tickets and how you can volunteer starting next week. And let me say this, and, and, then, and then we're done. I want to say thank you to everybody who's been giving to Second Chance Church, who, who have been contributing financially. I want to say thank you because, listen, in order to pull this service off, we've got to rent sound equipment. We've got to rent chairs. We have to rent the venue. We have to pay for signage. There's all kinds of things that we've got to do. And because of the way that you give every week and because of your generosity, we're going to be able to pull this service off and pull it off well. So I'm super excited about Easter services, super excited about the message for that weekend, and super excited about us getting together publicly as a body of believers. It's going to be awesome, and I really do believe that the best is yet to come.